How's everybody doing today? And um, just a quick note on the Mexico cost. That 950 is airfare, food, travel, that's everything. So we're not saying 950 and you have to pay for other stuff unless you want souvenirs when we're down there. But that covers the whole trip. And it was such a fun time, uh, a life-changing time. And I'm excited to have Justice and Michaela here with us next week. Um, for those of us um, who were on in the actual trip and in Mexico last year, um, I know that we connected with them. They were lots of fun. Michaela is not competitive in any way, shape, or form. So feel free to not challenge her in anything that you want while she's here. Um, excited to be here. How many of you guys um, are surprised that it's already 2023? Right? So many people I've talked to have said, like, I can't believe we're already in the new year. It's already 2023. Um, time flew by so fast. As a matter of fact, Stephanie and I were, were talking that February, the first Sunday of February this year, February 1st, will actually mark two years of us being up here. And uh, yes, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's crazy though. Time has flown. It really, really has flown. It doesn't seem like we've been here for two years and we've loved every minute of it. So I'm at 2023, I know it's gonna be, it's gonna be an awesome year. But as with awesome years, what happens in awesome years? Not awesome things, right? We, we all have those moments. And so we're gonna, we're gonna start this, uh, this new year off with um, a series about a well-known story in scripture about how to deal with some challenges that may happen. I think it's gonna be good to address this up front so we can start our year ready for the challenges, ready for what's gonna happen, knowing that we have the ultimate challenge beater on our team. So, so we're gonna dive into this in uh, 1 Samuel 17, and uh, let's pray as we, uh, as we dive in. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that we get to come together, we get to celebrate, and God, we get to kick off this new year with you leading the charge. God, you on our side, overcoming things that the year will throw at us. We know that we can overcome all things with you, and I thank you that we get to come and do this together as the body of Christ. We thank you, we love you. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Now, um, as you're turning to uh, 1 Samuel 17, um, as a kid, I grew up in church. I went to, to Sunday school, and it's funny, I, I kind of cringe when I say that phrase. I don't like the phrase Sunday school. I prefer children's ministry. But um, <clears throat> I, I grew up every Sunday going, my grandpa was the pastor of Creekside, the church I came from. My dad was a youth pastor, so I'm, I'm a third-generation pastor. But I grew up going to church. I loved going to church. And I knew all the stories in the Bible, Moses and the Israelites, right? I knew Adam and Eve, Samson, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. I, I knew these stories. I knew them all, and I, and I loved being able to, uh, <clears throat> when I was a children's pastor, then teach these stories to the kids. Abraham and Isaac's always a fun one who parents you know, often can resonate about wanting to take their own kids out sometimes. But there are so many incredible stories in Scripture. And if you grew up going to church, you probably recognize a lot of the stories. And when I, when I reference a story, you can probably think of, oh, I remember learning about this. I remember this story. I, I know the major players and, and the themes. But I love that when you go through these stories, there's always different stuff you can take out of it. They, they never get old. There's, there's always new, fresh ideas, new, fresh things God is speaking through his word. But a lot of these stories, many non-churchgoers even know the story. Because they're so referenced, whether in pop culture or just everyday life, they know the context and the characters in the story. Now, growing up, I was also that annoying kid in class in children's ministry. When they would do the Bible speed drill, like, all right, everyone, Bible's closed, turn to Matthew, got it. I'd be the first one there. And we'd get a piece of candy. And that was awesome motivation to learn where the books were in the Bible, because every Sunday I was going to earn that candy. And then we'd play games. And it was the, the Bible quiz stuff. All right, who can do this the fastest? Who knows the answer to this? Who can do this better? And I would win these games all the time. I was that kid. 
There's another kid here at church. Um, I don't know if I wanted to say his whole name, but it starts with M and ends with Eichel. But, <laughs> but um, all the time you hear stories in children's ministry when, when Michael, yeah, I'm talking about you, bud. He was up there and all the kids say the same thing. Who wins the games? Michael wins the games. Michael wins the games. He doesn't just win the games, he dominates these games. So I have much respect for the way Michael dominates children's ministry games because I was that kid. And man, I got candy. I would get lots of candy. And my parents would say, Dustin, not only should you not be eating all that candy, but you gotta give the other kids a chance to win. You've gotta let people win. This was foreign words to me. Let others win. Why? Why would I let others win? I did what every good church pastor's kid would do in that situation, kept on winning. Just kept going for it. I was not going to let somebody else rob me of my glory, rob me of my candy. And I, I've never been one personally, this is just through truth through my life, I don't like backing down from challenges. I like being challenged. I like the, I don't think you can overcome this. Oh, I want to go for it. I want to do it. That, that came across just through life, in school. It came on, I played uh, sports through high school. It just, it came out. I love competition, and um, I, I love to win. Now, going into 2023, like I said, I, I love a good challenge, and I know we're going to have challenges this year. And I thought we'd look at a Bible story to start our year where we could look at someone who had to overcome a really, really massive challenge. Not a new story, but I think elements, we're going to spend a few weeks in the story each week pulling out what we can learn from this challenge. So in 1 Samuel 17, we come across one of these children's ministry stories, a very popular story that people know the basics of, an unlikely hero named David, unlikely little David defeating a mighty giant called Goliath. How many of you guys, I mean, you can raise your hands, how many of you guys know the story, David and Goliath? Right? Almost all of us, right? We, we know the story. Even if you don't know the whole story, you probably heard the reference, David and Goliath. It's, uh, it's used in movies these days. Oh, that was a David and Goliath-style story. It's a popular one. But when you learn the story, you see David, a small young man, overcome this massive giant over nine feet tall. God used something incredibly small to defeat something incredibly large. And a major lesson that we get, the, the, the main lesson that usually comes from this is God is bigger than my giants. That, that's a very common theme that comes through. But I think there's so much more than just God is bigger than my giants that we can learn as we, as we pick this story apart. I've no, 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 don't doubt that line is true. No, don't want to diminish that line at all. That is a very true statement, but there's so much more. And I think that as we kick off this series first, we need to learn about the larger-than-life challenger. Let's, let's learn about Goliath a little bit. Take a second and look through him. If you have your Bible with you, 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 1, over the, the course of the next four weeks or so, we're going to go through the whole story, but today we're just going to focus on verses 1 through 11. So follow along with me if you would. 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 11 says this. <clears throat> the Philistines gathered their forces for the war at Socha in Judah and camped between Socha and Azka in the Ephes Damim. I think I said all those right. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. They lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall, wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield-bearer was walking in front of him. 
he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them, am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now, spend a minute like really picturing this. The Bible says he was over nine feet tall. That's a big man. Think of the tallest person you've ever seen in your life. They were not as tall as Goliath. This is a big man. My tallest friend growing up was six foot seven. Um, I, he was my, one of my best friends. We played football together. I hated going against him in football because he was so massive. But I'm, I'm not a small guy. I'm six foot two. So when, when my friend would stand next to me, I felt small. It takes a lot for me to feel small. But when he did, when he stood next to me, I would definitely feel smaller than, than most people. As a matter of fact, one day, I remember I was on a field trip at school, and this guy walked by me, and this guy had to have been close to seven foot. And one of my good friends in high school, her name was Sheila. She was like five foot one. She was really, she was really tiny, and we would always hang out. And when this guy walked next to me, didn't know who he was, but just walked next to me and then walked away, I looked at her and I said, Sheila, I just had a Sheila moment. <laughs> I, I get it. <clears throat> but I've never met someone that is as tall as Goliath. And think of the tallest guys in the world today, typically, that we see are, if you watch basketball, NBA players. They're tall. Shaq, right? The tallest guys in the NBA are around seven foot, maybe a little taller. The tallest guys have gone seven and a half feet. Those are tall guys. But now you take the tallest guy maybe you've seen in the NBA, seven foot six, add two feet to that, and you've got Goliath. And not just, and some, of the, some of the tall guys in the NBA are not bigger guys. They're tall and lanky. Now add armor, muscle, strength, weapons, bloodthirst to that player. Now you have Goliath. If you can picture this, it's pretty easy to see now why any soldier in that army would be terrified when he came out and said, do you want to fight? They were terrified. They were confronted with a clear and dominant looking enemy. Today, I think we can, we can learn from Goliath things about our enemy today. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8 that the evil one is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I, I know beyond a doubt this year, beyond a doubt, we will face challenges. How many of you guys faced a challenge last year? Right? Some of you guys are like, two hands. Right? Two challenges. We got them. Maybe some of those challenges from last year have rolled into this year. You're still, you're still dealing with it and going through it. This year will have its own fresh, fresh set of challenges. The enemy is out there. The problem is real, right? But I do believe God is bigger. Like we said, he's bigger than our problems, but he prepares us for these trials that we're gonna face. The world and or the enemy will throw these challengers at us. The Philistines threw the challenger. He threw Goliath at the Israelites. The world will throw a challenger at you. And I want us this year to be physically stronger and spiritually stronger to address these challenges and know how we can defeat them. Now, in biblical times, we talked about this when we did our, uh, oh, they're gone, the wonderful counselor sign. Um, we talked about counselors in biblical times, right? Counselors today uh, were very different than counselors in biblical times. In, uh, in biblical times, the, the counselors were like war advisors. They would go to the king and they would say, this is the enemy, these are the people, this is how you have to navigate this fight. This is the best strategy to go overcome this and what you're gonna do, whereas counselors today do a much more deeper and, and personal assessment on your life. Very different times call for different things, right? 
So counselors were different. These counselors in Bible times, they gave advice. Um, it was common practice to send spies, send, send spies into the army. We're going to go find out everything we can about these people so we know how to do what? How to beat them. We're going to find their weaknesses. We're going to find out how to tear them apart from within. The spies will give us everything we need to know so this army that's larger and bigger and stronger than us, we can take it down. Now, this still happens, this strategy still happens today in your home. Not like you're plotting to kill each other in your home. You're not sending spies to bring each other's demise, right? But think of a time where, uh, where you played um, a game with someone at home, whether it was a card game or a sports game. As you're playing the game, one of the things you have to do is you have to know your opponent in the game you're playing. You have to know how they think if you want to beat them. One of my favorite card games to play is Apples to Apples. I love apples to apples. There's actually a Christian version of it out there called Cards Christians Like. It is hilarious, and it is fun. But if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the game, you get all the players out, and there's a stack of red cards and green cards. Everyone grabs a bunch of red cards, and when it's your turn, you take a green card, and it has a word on it, a descriptive word on it, like popular, smooth, entertaining, old, weird, comfy, cozy. So they put it down for everyone to see, and then everyone looks at their red cards, and they have nouns. And their job is to play a red card that they think best goes with that word. But they play it face down. And once all the cards are face down, whoever played the green card takes all the red cards, mixes them, and then they pick the best word that goes with their, their green card. Make sense following along? So the thing about this game, though, is you can't play the green card. You play the player. Is the player going to pick the most serious word? Are they going to pick the most obscure word? Are they going to pick the word that makes no sense and makes them laugh? You're not playing the card. You have to play the player. And so that's the strategy for the game, right? And sometimes when we're playing this game, people were laughing at me like, why did you pick his card? And I, I was winning, and I said, they're like, that makes no sense. I said, no, it makes no sense, but I knew they would pick it. I knew that would resonate with them. So you're not playing the game or the card. You're playing the player. You have to know your opponent if you want to win the game. <clears throat> so today we will face challenges, big ones and small ones, but when they come at us, we have to know who the player is. You've got to know what is this challenger, what is the enemy, what is this issue coming at me. The more you know it and the more you know what it's how it's going to attack you, the best we can, the, that will set us up best to know how to fight it, how to overcome it and how to defeat it. How are we going to be successful in the opposition? And interestingly enough, I think our present day enemy sounds a lot like what Goliath was doing to the Israelites back then. The first thing we see from Goliath is that he questions. The first thing we see he questions. The enemy today, the challenger today, will question you. You notice what Goliath says in verse 8? He says this, why do you come out to line up in battle formation? Clearly they know the answer, right? I mean, they're, they're at war. But he comes out and asks a very obvious question, but he does it in a way that is so condescending it starts casting doubt. He says, why, why are you even here? What's your purpose? It's almost like saying, can't you see the difference? You have no chance. Why did you come out to battle or line up in battle formation? There are many attributes we could probably name that are behind these words from Goliath. But I think the big one here is what he throws out in relation to our own battles with the enemy. He's casting doubt. He's causing the army to doubt what they're even doing in the first place. Doubt is an age-old tactic. It was used from the beginning of time, and it's still used today. Have you ever struggled with doubt? It's not fun, right? It's not fun when you have all these questions that, that make you wonder if you're doing the right thing or making the right decision or if you can even overcome. They're not fun at all. I remember uh, in my family growing up, we had a big circumstance happen in my life 
in my whole family's life that caused a lot of doubt, a whole lot of doubt. When I was just in the fourth grade, uh, two of my younger siblings had illnesses that eventually led them to, to meet Jesus. Two younger siblings. One was two years old and one was just seven days old. And they passed away just within months of each other. This was really, really hard for my family. My dad, like, as I mentioned earlier, was a former pastor. My grandpa was a senior pastor. My dad was a youth pastor. We had been raised in the church. Like I said, I was that kid knowing all the answers and questions and knew, knew everything the Bible had said to a kid's degree. Very clear memories, though, of when that happened, how doubt started creeping its way into our house. And it didn't just creep in. It flew in. And it flew in hard. Conversations in our home ended up having questions like this. Does God really care about us? Then why did this happen? Does God really love all of us? Then why did this happen? Does God really exist? Then why did this happen? See the common question there, right? Why did this happen? I think we all have that question for God so many times in our life. When we're going through whatever it is we're going through, why did this happen? If you are this, then why? I have an aunt right now who's not a believer, and her daughter, so my cousin's baby, is going through a lot of medical issues, and she's asking these questions. She doesn't believe in God, but that's the question she's asking us who, who do believe in God. She goes, if God is real, then why is this happening? Doubt finds a way to invade and creep in and cause us to ask questions. And the reality is, I think we all have a natural tendency at some point, to some degree, to doubt something. Even to doubt God at times. It's a natural thing to say, then why? I don't know. I'm not sure. But, but the, the devil, the enemy, he is the king of doubting. He is the king of the questions that he'll come and throw at you. He's constantly planning that doubt in your head that can lead us to question God. All the way back in the book of Genesis, that's what he did in the very, very beginning with Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3.1, he casts doubt. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any garden in the tree? He asked one simple question, but it causes that doubt to start going into Eve's mind. Is this really what he said? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Man, he's in the business of distracting. He's in the business of doubt. He wants, he wants all of us, he wants you and me to go away from the truth, to question the truth. Therefore, we need to be aware of these questions that he asks us. In the case of Goliath, he asks them, why are you coming out to fight? Why are you coming out to fight? Can you picture the Israelite army? Like, seriously, picture them going, I don't know. Like, I, they're kind of nudging your friend, hey, you fight him. Or the friend in the army that you don't like, you fight him. <laughs> you do it. But no one wants to go because there is so much doubt in them. They see him. They see his size. Just, I mean, if his size wasn't enough to, to cause you to freak out, his spear, I mean, they went in detail for a reason in Scripture on what this guy was wearing. This was massive armor. A spear with the tip of it just weighing 15 pounds on its own, that's a heavy spear that's going to do some damage. This was a big guy. I can picture the Israelites saying, he's right, we are wasting our time. No one's going to fight this guy. We can't defeat him. We will not fight against him. I'm not doing it. This is, this is insane though, right? But do you want to hear something that, that's wild? I agree with the Israelites in those questions. I know that in that moment, I'd probably be saying the same thing. I'm not going to fight that guy. I'm not going to do it. And I know because I'm a bigger guy, people probably be looking at me. Dustin, go. Like, nope, I don't want to do it. They would be right in their assumptions. When they, when they were thinking, if they're standing there thinking, I cannot beat this guy on my own, I think that is a 100% valid assessment of the situation. They cannot beat this guy on their own. 
However, there was going to be a warrior soon who was going to roll up and show them that he does, he's not going to do it on his own. And he is going to conquer this enemy. And that's something that I think we can't miss from the story. Some of us have allowed discouragement and doubt to slip in because we have the wrong perspective on our battle. We've allowed doubt to come in because we have the wrong perspective. The Bible makes it clear we are not meant to fight this fight on our own. That is so crystal clear in scripture. We are never meant to do this alone. From the beginning of creation, God is there and he is constantly there through all the problems. You are never meant to face a challenger on your own. If you do it on your own, you will fail. If you do it on your own, you're not going to be able to overcome it. A number of years ago in California when I was working at Creekside, um, there was a fundraiser that we did every year to raise money for camp. It was called the Dinner Auction. And I remember when I was a, a middle schooler and high schooler in the church, I would participate in this fundraiser, and we would raise money, and we'd raise thousands of dollars to send kids to camp. And it was such a pivotal fundraiser uh, to, to work at and to be a part of to get to go to camp. I know lots of people, including myself, you know, when they're number seven of 15 kids, your parents can't just write a big check for everyone to go to camp. This was pivotal in getting us to camp, and camp is ultimately where I got my call uh, to become a pastor. So I, I love camp. This fundraiser was a big deal. Now, I used to work at this fundraiser to raise money, and then, um, then I went to college, and then I eventually joined staff at Creekside. And I remember I had joined staff, and the, the dinner auction at that point when I got hired was only six weeks away. So I was new to the staff, not new to the church, but new to the staff. I had nothing to do with the planning of the auction, but the person that was in charge of the auction had a lot of other situations and circumstances going on, and we were way behind the ball. And I'm, I'm talking this event was 250 plus people, thousands of dollars of auction items and an entertainment piece that was happening. It, it was a big production. And I got called into the pastor's office six weeks before, and he said, Dustin, I'm going to cancel the event. We're canceling it. And I remember I felt my heart drop because I knew how pivotal it was. I wanted kids to go to camp, and without this fundraiser, they weren't going to go. So he said, we just don't have the time to pull it off. And I, I argued with him. I said, we can't, we can't cancel the event. We have to have this happen. And then he looks at me, just it's like the, the look when someone looks into your soul and says, can you pull this off? And I said, yes. And he said, all right, I'm telling this other person that they're off of it. You're in charge. It's in six weeks. I had to go home and change my clothes. <laughs> I was very scared. But it launched an insane six weeks in my life. Insane six weeks. And I mean, I was visiting businesses on the phone, rallying volunteers, mandatory meetings, working with the students who were going to work this thing. It was just a nightmare, trial by fire of six weeks. And during this process, I was getting very close to that crazy word that affects pastors that sometimes people hear. Moms, dads, maybe not just pastors, people hear this and they feel it. I was approaching burnout. I was going so hard and so fast. I was tired and stressed all day. I'd come home and Stephanie would tell me that this is not okay. Like I was just, I was spent and I was short with, I had no patience. And I normally have an abundance of patience, but it was gone. I was just burned out. Three days before the auction, I'm at the church. We're running around. And one of my volunteers named Paula, who does so much for the auction every year, I'm running in and out of the church office. I'm in the car visiting another company. Come back in. I walk in. I'm going over with her. All right, we have this in line, this in line. She looks at me and says, Dustin, when was the last time you just stopped and prayed about the auction? In that moment, I realized the correct answer was zero. Not once, not once, when Pastor Terry told me to take over the auction, did I stop and just pray and say, God, be a part of this with me. I was doing everything on my own, and I was getting physically torn apart from this. 
And she wasn't even the pastor. I was one of the pastors. But she called me out on it. I couldn't believe it. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. But in that moment, I literally just collapsed to my knees at her table and said, can you help me pray with the, for the auction right now? And we prayed for the auction. You think that would have been my starting point, especially when it was already the situation it was. Six weeks, thousands of dollars, let's go. I didn't even pray. But you know what happened after I prayed? After I said, God, I want you to be a part of this with me. I stood up and there was this huge weight off of my shoulders. I had renewed energy. I was like revitalized for this. And it was one of those like, why didn't I do this sooner? Silly pastor. <laughs> why didn't I invite God in sooner? Why did I try to face this challenge on my own? Why did I not bring him in? But God showed up. Stress left. Pieces fell into place. Pieces that I was scrambling for started to work themselves out. And what was awesome is in the end of it, we had the most financially successful auction we'd ever had. And I don't say that to say like, look at all the work I did, but I say that because I, don't, I honestly don't think it would have come together unless we took that moment to say, God, I need you. I need you for this. I cannot do this without you. It would not have come apart. Or it would have not been pulled off had it not been for him. Without him, I was gonna break. But with him, it was awesome and we all felt God's hands moving throughout the whole thing. When we receive questions that make us doubt and receive fear from the evil one, we need to know how to respond. We need to know how to respond. Don't, don't approach these questions and think, I can't do this. Say it, I can't do this without God. And let God come in. We don't need to respond in fear. Respond in faith knowing that he's got you. Joshua 1.9 says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's a mindset shift. When the challenge hits you, shift your mindset to this. Don't say, shift your mindset to say, I'm not afraid of the problem. The problem should be afraid of my God. I'm not afraid of the problem. The problem should be afraid of my God. The second thing we see Goliath do, after he questions and casts doubt, the second thing we see him do is he condemns. The enemy will condemn you. It's interesting, right after he makes the statement, right, he says this. He says, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. That you are only part right there is, is big. You are only the servants of Saul. He's condemning who they are, making them question who they really are in Christ. Now, the word, the word but is extremely important in the Bible. And not like but, but the, the word but. Every time we see it, we can assume it's in between two contrasting opinions. We see two things happening. And for instance, Luke, uh, I mean, in Acts 1.8, Luke writes this. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So they're approached with a problem. He says, but you will receive something. So it's, it's, a, it's a good but, right? It's a big word in scripture when we see this. In a similar sense, Goliath in verse eight is seeking to elevate himself above the Israelite army. And he says, he says that he is better and they are just the servants of Saul. And if you look at the armies in comparison on paper, physically the Philistines were larger. We see this when they first go into the promised land with Moses' times. These people in this land, the natural inhabitants are just bigger and stronger. And Goliath being the prime example of their physique. They were generally larger. They had better armor, better weapons, more soldiers. They could strike fear, and they had Goliath. There was no evidence to show that they would even keep their word on the battlefield. If Goliath went and they fought and Goliath killed the guy and said, all right, you're our servants, there's no evidence to even show the Philistines would have kept that, and they would have just slaughtered them anyways. They had every reason to be afraid. This was huge in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now, I want, I want to, for example's sake, um, Theoden, come on up here for a second. 
Yep. Now, Theoden's actually grown a little bit this last year, but look, yep. when, when I first came to Celebration, um, Alan started up the, the youth ministry again, and, and we're outside playing football. Theoden didn't want to be on my team, and I didn't want to be on his team either. So we're out there playing football, and just on paper and eyesight, there's a, if someone's going to tackle someone, you can probably see how this is going to go. And so we, we go out there, and it's, it's actually one of my favorite youth stories. Theoden caught the football, and I just picked him up with the football and ran the other direction. <laughs> just figured, we're going to get a touchdown, and I'm just going to take you with me. And there were other times where I was running, and there's just the one, like, you know, the move, <laughs> the stiff arm, and Theoden goes down, and he doesn't make the tackle, right? So, so if you think of, now, now imagine Theoden being, you know, a, a little smaller and me being, like, three feet taller. Now you've got a picture of what's about to happen in Scripture, Right? On paper, this is nothing that anyone is signing up for. Thank you, Theodore. You can go sit down now. <laughs> yes, thank you. <clears throat> On paper, Goliath has the advantage. There's an important statement here we can't miss. Underline that in your verse where he says, you are only the servants of Saul. You are only the servants of Saul. A few minutes ago, we talked about doubt. But here I want to talk about trust. When you remove all things, move everything else from your life, who is it that you can trust? Who do we look to? See, it's, it's clear how prominent in division our world is right now, right? But in dividing world, who can, we, who can we rely on? Who can we go to and say, this is the constant, this is the person who's got us no matter what? We can go back to God and say, I trust him. <clears throat> I would argue that most prominent of the tactics the devil does amongst God's people is he wants you to not trust God. He wants, you to, he wants you to be disassociated with anyone who does trust God. Some of us, some of us have uh, associated ourselves with a, a, denomina, a denomination affiliation, right? Or maybe some of us have associated ourselves with a political affiliation. Or we, or, uh, we, we have our, our sports team identification. But none of those matter as much as your identity with Christ. None of those matter as much as your identity with Christ. Sometimes we look to a political leader more for leadership than we do for God's word for leadership. We start disassociating ourselves. We start diminishing who we are in Christ instead of letting that be who we are identified in through Christ. We need to look at him so we don't get further divided from ourselves. The ultimate unifier, I know in this room, we have, we have people that lean towards the left. We have people that lean towards the right. We have people that voted this way, people that voted that way. We have people that root for the Seahawks and a person who roots for the Niners. Like, I, I get this. But that's not what identifies who we are. We are identified because Christ unifies amongst all of our differences. Don't ever let someone look at you and say, you are only this. You say, no, the only thing I am is a child of God. And that's bigger than anything else anyone can say. <clears throat> the dialogue between Goliath and the Israelite army comes to a temporary close in verse 11. The Bible says this. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. They were terrified and deeply shaken. I think the final thing we need to realize is that the enemy will strike fear. The enemy strikes fear. We talked about how he wants to distract. We talked about how he casts doubt. He'll do whatever it takes to make you afraid. One of the most prominent things is to make you afraid of what he's doing and how you can't overcome it. I've gone through seasons of my life where I've, I've lived in fear. 
seasons where I knew I shouldn't be afraid, but I was nonetheless. Believing lies people tells you about yourself and having that really hinder what you know you're supposed to go do because you're not diving into what God's called you to do. Fear will keep you from stepping out into faith, though. Another prominent story that we've talked about in here before, too, in Matthew 14. We see Jesus walking on the water in the middle of a storm. We see Peter. Peter eventually gets out and walks on the water. But I love this dialogue that happens because Peter's response when he sees Jesus is he asks a question. But Peter does it without hesitation. When Jesus says, yes, come, he just jumps out on the water and he starts walking towards Jesus on the water. Yes, he sinks a little bit later, but he does it. You can never lose sight of that, that, that fact that he gets out of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus, and he doesn't hesitate. He goes. Why does he do it? Matthew 14, 27, there's a great line that Jesus says. He says, do not be afraid. The words of Jesus, so clear, do not be afraid. And when Peter hears those words, do not be afraid, for a moment, he's not afraid. He trusts Jesus, he believes in him, and he gets out of the boat and walks towards him. He wasn't gonna step out on that water for anybody else. If it was someone else swimming, saying, the water's fine, he'd probably say, you're nuts. But only Jesus could say that phrase to him that got him to say, I'm not afraid, and I will step out of the boat towards you. Do not be afraid. His trust was rightly placed. You know how many times scriptures has a variation of that phrase, fear not or do not be afraid? 365 times. Do not be afraid or don't fear not. That, that's in scripture. That's enough, that's enough for one time a day every year, including leap year. He counted it. It's there. Do not be afraid. Every day you can read a passage that tells you not to be afraid. That's how confident we get to be in the one who gives us the strength to get through whatever the challenger throws at us. Your life will be filled with voices, people that cast doubt, media that cast doubt, the enemy coming at you with questions. But when all those questions come through, listen to the one who builds your confidence and strength because he will never tear you down. He'll never tell your confidence down in him. He will build you up. <clears throat> when David went to fight Goliath, he successfully hit the Israelites where it hurt, right? Goliath did. He made them question who they were. He demeaned their status with God and he struck fear into their hearts. But I love how David replies and we're gonna read some more of this in the coming weeks. But you read the story, you see this conversation David has with Goliath and it's an awesome one. Goliath questions who David is. Goliath demeans his status of a soldier by mocking his lack of weapons. He says he's gonna kill him and feed him to the animals. Goliath looks at him. After he does this to the army, he does it to David. He questions him, he demeans him, and he says terrifying things. David's response, he goes head on. He assures he's in the right place. He declares his status as a follower of God, a mighty God. He says he's not afraid, and doing this, that little man slays a giant. It's a phenomenal story. David chose to listen to the voice of God above everything else, against the voices of the murmurings of the army, the chanting of the Philistines, and the taunting of the one who was a lot taller and bigger than he was. He ignored it all and focused on the words of God. Listening to God's voice was the key. The, the word of God shows us consistently what God's voice is like and, and how we can stay in tune to it. That's why it's so important that, I, that we, read, we spend time in scripture, we read our Bibles. I, I know last year, some of you joined me in reading the Bible for a year, and um, we're doing it again this year. And we're, we're going through the whole Bible in a year, and I think it's important every day, spend time in it. If you have questions about scripture, ask questions. Explore it, study it, med, put it in your heart and dwell on it. That's what's gonna give us the strength to overcome any challenge that gets thrown at us. 
Joshua 1.8 says this, meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. He's talking about the book of the law at the time. If we take the Bible and we meditate on this day and night and we do our best to do what is written in it, man, that word flows through our very being and challenges come and then we get to say that. The phrase is, I don't have to be afraid of you. You'll be afraid of what I know. You'll be afraid of what I can do because of who's on my side. This verse is a beautiful imagery. It shows us how to deal with the enemy. Don't rely on your own strength. Don't rely on humanity to overcome everything. Rely on God to work through you to overcome these things. His strength, not yours. Consider this week, what are you doing in your life right now maybe that you're relying on your own strength for? What, what's something in your life where you're saying, only I can do this. This is happening to me and I am the only one who can address it. What does that look like in your life right now? Think of some areas where you know you need to ask for help from others and from God, but you just haven't asked that question yet. Here's the tip. Don't wait till three days before it's due to do it. I mean, it worked, but it was not worth the six weeks of stress leading up to it. This week, I have a challenge for all of us. Take time this week. Write down a challenge in your life. What are this year's challengers? What are your Goliaths this year that are coming at you, that are demeaning you, questioning you, causing you fear, giving you doubt? What is in your life right now? You would say, this is my Goliath, or these are my Goliaths. Write them down. What are you being challenged with? Some of you may have a really big list. Some of you may have a really small one, just a few things. But no matter what the list, when you look at it, remember this one thing, you were never meant to overcome those Goliaths by yourself. Never meant to do it alone. Look around the room. We've got a community of people here that we can fight our Goliaths with. And in those moments, too, you get to look up. We've got a God who says, I can beat this Goliath. I already beat this Goliath. This is nothing. We can do it. He is on your side with a 100% success rate against everything in his path. His voice above all else. And if you don't know how to hear his voice, spend time reading his word. Start there. Spend time in scripture and just take time to be quiet and just listen and say, God, what are you, teaching, what are you talking to me about? What are, you, what are you saying to me through this? Take time to hear him. There was a man who was born with incredible challenges in his life. Um, some of you may know him. It's not a new story, but it's still, I think, an incredible one. A man named Nick Vujicic was born with no arms and no legs in Australia. Um, he went through incredible challenges, and at just 10 years old, he considered suicide. And I, I can't imagine being born with no arms and no legs. And then one day, he had an encounter with God. And now he's a motivational speaker who encourages others to face their challenges and trust God. And he gets the privilege of speaking to thousands of people a year. So go ahead and check this out. Isn't that amazing? And you can, if you YouTube Nick Vujicic, you'll see tons. He's preached sermons. He's done motivational speeches. He speaks at high schools. But he goes out, no arms and no legs, skydives, swims, surfs. The guy does amazing things. He's the epitome of looking at a challenge. And when he was 10, he almost cashed it in because he was trying to do it on his own. They had an encounter with God, and now he's talking to thousands of people all about what God can do. And I, <laughs> he's the epitome of, don't tell me I can't do it. And he goes and does it. Imagine your life. Imagine your challenges. What can God do through you to help you overcome your Goliaths in your life? Don't let the challenge demean you. Don't let it beat you down. Don't let it cast fear. You do it to those. Tell it who it's up against and conquer your challenges because that's who God is for us. Amen? Would you stand with me? <clears throat> God, I thank you so much. I thank you that, that 
God, through you, nothing can't be overcome. God, I pray that, that when challenges come in our life, we're able to identify what it is, what the enemy is trying to do, and we can say, you can't do that because I have you. God, I pray that if anyone in here right now maybe is on their own, they, they've never given their life to you, they've, they've never said, God, I want you to help me overcome this. God, I pray that right now you make yourself real to them. God, that they invite you in to be a part of their life. God, for those of us who know you, who are still dealing with, with these things, God, I pray that for all of us, we have that step of humility where we say, it's not about me, God, I can't do it, but with you we can. So God, I pray you join us this year. This year is the year that nothing takes us down, God, but that we take the challenges down the same way that David took down Goliath. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.